Welcome to the Story Tinker Podcast, a place for in-depth analysis of stories, mainly from Webtoon. Co-hosted by sharp, witty, and dare I say, thirsty fans, we dive deep in every episode, analyzing character struggles, relationship development, and of course, theories. We also interview people working in creative industries. You can follow the Story Tinker on YouTube, podcast platforms, and social media. For bonus content, sneak peeks, and more, you can support the Story Tinker on Patreon. We're really appreciative of your likes, subscribes, follows, comments, and ratings on all platforms. Thanks for listening to the Story Tinker, and let's get started. And welcome to the first of our new series, which is interviews with people working in creative industries. And our very first guest is Michael Sun. And did I get that right? Yes. And Michael is a VP of content at Tapas. And he has a really interesting story to share with us about Tapas because he has been there from the beginning. So I'm really excited to hear about that. So I'm sure many of you know what Tapas is. I'm just going to read a little bit about Tapas. So this is the text that they sent me. It was established in 2012, headquartered in LA, and it has key global operations in Seoul, South Korea, and Beijing, China. And it's one of the fastest growing digital publishing platforms of webcomics and novels in North America. So they have both of those on the platform. They have created a community of more than 9 million registered users with stories from 68,000 creators and published over 99,000 stories to date, which is a ton of stories. And they have partnerships across various multimedia platforms, like with Scholastic, Zoic Studios, Vault Comics, Boom, Hatchetbook Group, Ten Speed Press, Penguin Random House, Cacao Entertainment, Woody Audio, Frolic Media, Madison Wells, Netmarble, and more. And they won the 2020 Ringler Award, their favorite publisher, and received their first Eisner nomination in 2021. And they also joined forces with Cacao Entertainment in 2021 to expand their global storytelling footprint. So there we go. <laughs> Thank you for describing your own company. So um, let me first ask you very briefly what, you know, tell me more about just, you know, because we're going to get more into it in an interview, but about yourself and what, you know, what your position is in just a line or two. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like you mentioned, I'm the VP of content at Tapas Media. Uh, I oversee uh, Studio Tapas, which is like a very specific division within the company that's responsible for all of our original production. So we work directly with creators to basically develop stories that you can't find anywhere else. Um, and I've been with the company for uh, goodness, about a little over nine years. Uh, and I started off as an intern. And I think that, uh, you know, I truly believe that I've had like the best possible experience at, at Tapas because, you know, I started off as an intern, worked my way all the way up to, to VP of content, um, got to do a little bit of everything under the sun, except for the actual coding, which, you know, thank God. Um, but, you know, I did like social media for, for a while. I, I did, um, the actual programming of what gets featured. Uh, I did email campaigns uh, and I traveled up and down the West Coast during the beginning to recruit creators. Um, and I was like super introverted at the time. So meeting people in person and trying to like pitch tapas was like a really big learning opportunity. And, you know, more recently got more involved in like business development. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything under the sun. And, you know, for me, uh, I've been a lifelong fan of storytelling and it just so happens that, you know, comics is my favorite medium. So I kind of got lucky. Uh, I grew up knowing that I wanted to work in comics, but I really didn't know how or what that was going to look like. And so Tapas um, was kind of like a very 
serendipitous opportunity for me. Yeah. So you were telling me how you got into Tapas, and mm-hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about how you even found out about the company? Yeah, so um, oddly enough, the, the company kind of found me. Um, one of the the older co-founders was a was a Berkeley alumni, and at the time, I was teaching kind of like a student run course uh, at UC Berkeley that was all about like how to make comics and like how to publish comics. Um, and he attended one of my lectures, fell asleep, uh, and and at the <laughs> end of it, was like, "Hey, you know, I have this, this really cool opportunity." Um, and at the time it was called, I, I believe it was like Comic Panda. And uh, I, I got to pitch kind of like um, what I would do if I could do anything in comics. And uh, Chang Kim, our CEO, like really, I think, uh, resonated with, with what I had in mind. You know, at the time it was like com- when, when you said comics, people thought of like superheroes or like Sunday funnies and what what I really wanted to do was like do everything in between that you know I grew up with um with like manga and I think uh you find a lot of eclectic stories in manga and uh, I wanted to kind of bring that kind of uh, authenticity and vibe to western comics and I think that really aligned with what Chang wanted to do creatively and so yeah, it wasn't really me finding Tapas. It was more of Tapas finding me. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And, and again, like I said, it, it was like very serendipitous and very lucky, you know. Yeah, that uh, is. So it's like something you did straight out of college and you've been exclusively there. Yeah, it's the only <laughs> job I've ever had. And so um, I'm super, super fortunate. I think luck will be kind of like a recurring theme in, in this yeah. uh, in this podcast. That's great. I mean, honestly, I feel that way also about many aspects of my life. And I think that, you know, if you if you walk around with that attitude of gratitude, your life is just so much better for it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please feel free to say that as many times as you want. <laughs> so you said that you always wanted to get into comics. So um, yeah, what gave you that conviction? Like when you were a little kid and reading comics, what were you mm-hmm. thinking? Like what, how did you see yourself in the future? Or did you, is it, did you think you were going to do it? Or was it like, oh, I, I want to do it, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of one of those things. So like, um, both my parents are, uh, first generation immigrants. And so I grew up with both of them having like full-time jobs. And so, um, you know, a lot of my upbringing as a kid was kind of like, you know, reading comics or like reading pulp novels, TV and movies. Um, and so Were I you always... An only child by any chance? Oh, what was that? Were you an only child by any chance? Uh, yeah, for the first eight years, I was an only child. I think I was an accident. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I grew up with pop culture kind of raising me and I always knew that um, I wanted to contribute back to pop culture in in some meaningful way because I knew that there are a lot of other kids out there like me that was, you know, like voraciously consuming content. Um, but, you know, I grew up in like the early 90s. And so, you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of like Asian American representation on on screen at the time. Like we, we had like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, um, and uh, if you were cultured, you had like Yo-Yo Ma. Um, but uh, I knew that, you know, I wanted to bring a lot more like own voice of storytelling and like representation if I were to have worked in pop culture. And I just at the time didn't really know what that looked like. And um, 
I was okay at drawing as a kid. And when you're okay at drawing in a public school, you're probably pretty good in the public school. And so, uh, you know, I was like, okay, at drawing in middle school, okay, at drawing in high school. And then I got to college and I was like, oh, I'm actually like not that good at drawing because I was introduced to like a whole new group of people that, that were just incredible at, at, at art. And so... Uh, I knew that I probably wouldn't cut it as a penciler in comics. And so I was like, oh, you know, maybe writing or editorial or lettering or, or whatever I could get. I, I just knew I needed to work in comics eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that is so interesting because I definitely also felt that way when, you know, when you're a, a big fish in a little pond, you're mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm great at whatever, you know, dancing, <laughs> yeah. singing for me. And then you get to a place where like, there's a lot of people like you and you're like, oh, Darn, yeah, it's a very <laughs> humbling experience. Yeah. I remember in high school, um, I applied to, to, um, goodness, why am I blanking? Trader Joe's, you know, and, and they have like those hand-drawn signs. Yes. And oh. I remember my, my, uh, high school art teacher being like, Michael, you should really pursue a career in art. And I couldn't even get a job at Trader Joe's doing hand-drawn science. I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm really like cut out for this. And, um, I think, yeah, again, like getting into college where you meet a bunch of other people like you who are probably like top of their class at, at art. And then you're just like, oh my God, there are people that are really, really talented out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So did you ever consider doing anything else or because this opportunity landed in your lap so early, like you mm -hmm. kind of didn't even have to. Did, what did you major in in undergrad again? Uh, yeah, so I majored in English literature with a focus in European modernism, and I can't tell okay. you why, but um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, you know, I was always trying to balance, um, how do I put this? So you know, I'm the first of my family to go to college. And so it was like, there's like a lot of expectations. And mm -hmm. there's a part of me that thought, oh, you know, maybe I should, you know, go down a traditional route, maybe not major in English and get a steady job and maybe get into comics in like a later part of my life when I was probably, when I had a lot more stability. Um, but I think, you know, deep down inside, I, I knew that uh, if I didn't try now, I'd probably like wake up in 30 years and and probably still be telling myself that I'd get around to it tomorrow. Um, and, you know, when you're young and you have that like that fire in you to do something creative, I think that's like kind of like the best time to kind of capitalize on that. And, you know, my parents, luckily enough, were like pretty supportive um, with that. And, and especially when the, the, the topest opportunity came up, I think it was kind of, again, like really lucky and serendipitous. Yeah. That's amazing because I was going to ask about your parents because um, I know for artistic people, they mm. often face a lot of opposition from, yeah. you know, the adults around them telling them, you know, don't do that. I know for me, when I was a kid, I always wanted to do like the dramatic arts, you know, mm -hmm. and I grew up, I happened to have grown up in a very orthodox religious, you know, Jewish environment where that was not an option at all. It was like, I mean, I wouldn't say heretical because it was not theological, but it was just considered very, very immoral. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, no, you can't do that. It was not an option. It was like becoming like, yeah. I don't know, rocket, sci rocket scientist was more likely than becoming an actor. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even think about that growing up. I was like, it wasn't even, you know, something I considered for a second. I was like, oh, I'd love to do it, but it's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, and plus there were no opportunities growing up. Like there wasn't training and all that. So um, I ended up like my undergrad is in psychology and English also in Judaic studies. I thought I was going to be a psychologist. Then I like co-founded a social service organization, got burned out. And then I ended up doing, um, I did an MBA because I was like, mm -hmm. I really wanted to do creative things. Like I put out some music videos and I write a lot of poetry and I was dying to go down the creative route, but I was already, you know, like late twenties. I had a couple of kids 
And, you know, um, I really have to support the family. And I was like, there's no way that I can do anything creative. I was like, I have to do something practical. And I went for my MBA, which I happen to have really enjoyed. And I discovered I have a whole skill set of like, you know, administrative stuff, I guess, that I really, really like. Um, but um, there were a couple of years where I wasn't doing anything creative and I was extremely depressed. Like I, I really was, I did not mm-hmm. find life worthwhile at all. Like I, like, I just didn't want to live. There was nothing for, to live for. And yeah. I actually, and then when I started doing creative things again, I was like back to myself because mm-hmm. creative people at the end of the day, like they really can't deny the creative side to themselves yeah. because they just, they just die, like <laughs> wither mm-hmm. away. Yeah. I, you know, I think, uh, so when I had first gotten into college, my original pursuit was to be a professor. And I, and I think I had, you know, aspirations to go into like a PhD program, um, and uh, it's funny because, um, you know, I was all set up to, to apply for a PhD program when the topless opportunity came up and, you know, I was like, okay, I'll put like the PhD track on pause for like, you know, a few years and, and you know, really commit to tapas. And then, yeah, nine years pass. And then, you know, now I'm no longer thinking about, you know, the PhD program at all. And I have no regrets about that at all either. So, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, being creative and being passionate are really, uh, it, it consumes a lot of your day, you know, like you're thinking about all these creative things and like all, all these possibilities and to have an opportunity where you can kind of apply that and make a living off of it is, you know, a once in a lifetime opportunity. I think my parents kind of recognize that, like, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is kind of like the perfect opportunity for our kid. And I, I think they, also like, you know, like worked really, really hard. They worked like, you know, manual jobs. Uh, and I think they kind of realized like, oh, it would be like a shame if uh, if they had kind of built this life um, and g- given me this opportunity to pursue a different career. Um, and, and if I didn't take like that creative path, I think they would have had some regrets uh, with that. So, that's really, that's yeah. really supportive of them. Yeah, for sure. That's great. I'm super grateful for that too, yeah. My mom and dad are the best. <laughs> yeah, I know. I appreciate my parents a lot more mm-hmm. as I as I get older and have mm-hmm. kids. You know? Yeah. So, so can you tell me more about like your day to day responsibilities now? So mm-hmm. it sounds like you did a ton of stuff, which I I think must be amazing. Like to watch a company from its inception yeah. and do everything. So what do you do right now as VP of content? Uh, so my day to day kind of looks different every single day. Um, but you know, I'm mainly responsible for overseeing like the, the business side of the studio, making sure that, you know, the, the studio is uh, financially fit and that, uh, all the projects are, are running along smoothly and that, um, you know, we're setting ourselves up for really long-term success. So it's like high level strategic planning, um, and I try to spend some of my day connecting with with other people, um, whether it's inside the company or outside of the company. And for context, like um, before, you know, COVID happened, we were at like 32 people full-time, I want to say. And I think we just hired like person 127. And so um, it's getting really, yeah, it's getting really challenging to keep up with everyone. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, um, I used to like memorize everyone's like, birthdays um, and be able to spend a lot of time with people and like 
you know, uh, and do all those like social activities. And now, you know, I'm in meetings and I'm meeting people for the first time. And I'm like, oh my God, this is like such a weird experience. So, um, you know, part of my day to day is really trying to focus on connecting with people and, and learning more about them because, um, you know, I think it's really inspiring to like meet new people at, at Tapas and, and find out why they're joining the team and kind of what, what drives them. And I think that kind of gives me a renewed sense of energy. Um, uh, and another part of my day is kind of like the, uh, like, you know, meetings upon meetings upon meetings. Um, and it, it's just part of the job. Um, but what, what helps with all that is being surrounded by incredibly like creative people. I mean, um, you know, we have Michelle Wells as our CCO and, and she has a, an incredible publishing background. Um, she, she did stuff over at um, DC Comics that just absolutely blew my mind. Um, you know, one of the most courageous storytellers I've ever been able to meet. And so uh, I can't complain about being in meetings with her because, you know, she's, you know, you know, so amazing. And um, so, yeah, most of my day to day is, is actually just meetings and meeting people and, and doing like PNLs, budgeting sheets. So kind of like the, the, the boring side of things, but uh, it's important work that needs to get done. And it also allows more people to um, do parts of the job that, that I personally really love and, and really like motivated me to keep going. Um, so yeah, super grateful again to have this opportunity. And also it's like, if we're being like completely honest, like I'm a pretty young VP of content, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no lie. Um, and so just being afforded this opportunity and, and this responsibility um, is a, is an amazing honor. And I think, um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, earn the, the title of VP every single day. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting because, you know, you, I, I totally did mm. um, thought VP of content would be about like kind of selecting stories and like kind mm. of more editorial so I didn't know it included all this business and strategic mm -hmm. stuff, which is really, yeah, really high level. And um, mm -hmm. it must have been, was it hard to get into that because, um, you know, your background wasn't like English? Like, did you mm -hmm. have to learn a lot of stuff about business or you learned on the job? Or uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I got... <sighs> You know, I was very fortunate that I was surrounded by really smart people and uh, I, I had the great opportunity to have really amazing mentors, you know, um, you know, from Rob Perieta, who's over at, you know, Netflix on the anime division now, um, but previously was, you know, the, the top person of his media. Uh, you know, I have Daihei Shiohama, who runs MediaDo, which is like one of the biggest, you know, publishing companies, uh, media companies from Japan. Uh, Chang Kim, our CEO, <laughs> uh, one of the greatest mentors of, of my life. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just having like really smart people giving me all this like years of experience and guidance, I think really helps me uh, embrace these new challenges. Um, so, you know, sometimes the job can be daunting, but I know that, you know, I have a really great support group and, you know, people that are so generous with their time um, and knowledge. And so I feel like there's no you know, there's no challenge that I can't face as long as I, I have this group along with like Michelle Wells, you know, Gabby Liu, our, our superstar editor, you know, as long as I have them, you know, I, I think there's no challenge that I can't face. Oh, that's so wonderful. It's, it's so nice to hear, you know, you speak positively at that. Do yeah. you, um, are you guys currently back to the office or like, are you remote or combo? Uh, we're, we're remote and we've been remote uh, ever since COVID started. We, <laughs> we actually just got an office in LA uh, and then like two to three months later, COVID hit, um, <laughs> which was super unfortunate, but um, 
Yeah, what's interesting is like even before the pandemic hit, we were doing uh, Wednesday work from homes. Um, and so we were kind of pretty well suited to transition to a completely work from home situation. But, you know, I can't lie, you know, I do miss the the office and like meeting up in person. And I think there's just like this different kind of culture that you can cultivate by being together in person. Like, you know, when one of your editors is having an off day or something, you can kind of see it via their body language and be like, hey, like, let's take a break. Let's go grab coffee or some boba or, or you know, whatever. <laughs> and being behind a screen and maybe not being on a call with them like you're not able to to see that kind of body language and so um yeah it introduces its own set of challenges but um i think for the most part we've been super productive from work from home and i'm really happy to see that and i, and I do see a lot of our team members going above and beyond to kind of try to what do you call it like simulate the in-person mm-hmm. work experience like we have this really great editor named uh, named claire who hosts like this monthly like luncheon kind of a thing where we all like eat together and do like fun activities last time we did yoga and i couldn't keep up um and so so yeah we're, we're trying to make sure that we're, we're still creating a fun uh culture and environment here even though it's like purely work from home yeah oh that's great is everyone in la or are there people all over america uh, and i know all um, over yeah uh, yeah okay. Um, we used to be based in I'm oh, sorry we used to be based in uh, the Bay Area and then we kind mm-hmm. of moved over to to LA because we were kind of embracing the fact that you know so we're, we were like a tech entertainment hybrid company and it and at the mm-hmm. time it made sense to be in SF because that's where all the cool tech startups were and then we're mm-hmm. like oh you know we're, we're more of a storytelling company we should be yeah. like in LA or like New York you know um, and so I was actually one of the first members to move out to LA mm-hmm. Um and I think I, I had such a fun time. I would, this is how I want to think of it, um, that it was infectious and I convinced a lot of other people to move out. <laughs> here so, oh. Okay. You know, I've actually never been out West. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, the first West I've been was when I lived in Memphis, Tennessee. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, but up and down the East Coast, because that's where I'm from, but I haven't been out there. So I got to get up there. Um, but anyway, um, what would you say are like, are, I don't, I don't know if you want to talk about it because it's a little negative, yeah. but like what are frustrating parts of your job that are either frustrating or difficult? Yeah. Um, I don't know if like frustrating is the right word because uh, I don't really want to come off as ungrateful, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, this this is like a dream job, right? Um, but I think like the most challenging part of a job, of this job in particular and, and this role is like, um, like when a story doesn't find an audience, I think that's, mm-hmm. that's really tough. You know, we, uh, we try our best, uh, to set every story up for success. Um, and we try to set up every creator up for success. You know, they're, they're coming on a very long journey with us and, and whether it's making a comic or writing a novel, it takes a lot of time, <laughs> um, and a lot of dedication. Um, but you know, even with all our best efforts every once in a while, um, you know, for a myriad of different reasons, uh, a story just won't find an audience and ultimately, um, you know, I have to make a tough call to, um, to not renew it. Um, so I don't really participate too much in editorial anymore. Um, you know, I have a wonderful EIC in, in Jamie S. Rich, and I have one of the coolest editorial teams you'll, you'll ever see. Um, and, and just knowing the staff and, and, and all their passion that they pour into every, every single panel, you know, uh, it's not a great feeling to cancel a series. Uh, you know, one of the greatest privileges um, of working at Tapas is that we get to tell and share stories. Um, 
and stories are, you know, to me, like a very sacred thing. Uh, when a creator shares a, a story with us, um, that's got to be like the most like daring and like intimate and challenging thing someone can can really do in, in the creative field. You know, you have to be, you know, brave and vulnerable and, and open in order to do that. Uh, and sharing a story is like sharing like a secret or like sharing a dream, right? And to not be able to continue those dreams is like a pretty big heartbreaker. Um, but, you know, like, we're all trying our best here. Um, you know, we, we green light every story uh, and believe in every project that we touch. Um, and it's challenging. Uh, and honestly, you know, canceling a story never gets easier. But uh, when you try your best and don't succeed, you just got to be brave enough to, to try and try again. You know? mm-hmm. Well, I mean, hearing you talk like that with such mm-hmm. respect um, and affection for the artists, yeah. I mean, they're in good hands. That's, that's a very oh, compassionate, you. Yeah. you know, I mean, I wish everyone was like you. I think that mm. that is, you know, the the way to be and the way to treat people. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed hearing that. <laughs> Thank so you. I know so. you said you don't do much editorial now, but maybe mm. when you used to or whatever you do do, what what do you look for in a story that makes you, you know, attracted to it? Um. Yeah. You know, I. You know, one of one of my biggest mantras is, you know, I want to tell stories I can't find anywhere else. You know, I think it would be a, an absolute tragedy if, you know, we had all these like technological, financial, business resources, and we just told like super mainstream stuff. Um, you know, because there are like other publishers and, and other platforms that that can do that and that are already doing such a great job with that stuff. Um, and so for me, you know, I really want to be hit by a story that makes me excited and nervous at the same time. I think that is, you know, that has led to some of like the best stories that we've ever produced. And I think it's, um, I think it's a very unique feeling, you know, I think it's a very rare feeling to be excited and nervous at the same time. And I think uh, not a lot of jobs afford you to feel that way. Um, and so, you know, there was years and years and years ago, there's this wonderful creator named uh, the cow and uh, they were doing a series called mondo mango and it's like this really funny slice of life uh you know four panel series um super popular on tapas and, and all over social media and uh you know the cow pitched us uh magical boy and it was like unlike anything i had ever seen before it was you know it was a story about you know is a trans narrative about you know the, this young uh max who is transitioning to uh, a man and coming out to their family and their family you know tells max that like, you're part of this long lineage of magical girls and it's all about identity family and and having these open conversations and yeah i never seen anything like it uh it we we published it uh, and a lot of people read it and embraced it and it took, uh, everyone else outside of our community a really long time to get it. Um, and luckily, you know, we finally connected with Scholastic and they're going to be publishing it in two volumes and, and, um, you know, we work in comics so we're not like saving the world or anything, but you know, the, the fact that, um, Scholastic is going to be publishing it and a lot more like K through 12, you know, families are going to be able to have this as a way to start conversations is going to be, you know, I think it makes the world a little bit of a better place, which feels good. Um, so yeah, what, what I look for are stories kind of like that, where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, this, this really fits with what we're trying to do as storytellers. This challenges us creatively. Um, 
and and uh yeah you know when when you don't see anything like it anywhere else i think that's yeah that's a recipe for success for us yeah that's that's great to hear and i would say when you say that you're not saving the world i mean mm. i don't know how you define saving the world but i think <laughs> stories are i mean there's two aspects to me there's like the mm. instructive aspect which is more like in that specific story right it might help specific people in, mm-hmm. in situations yeah. and there's things you can actually learn from the story but i also think that honestly just the entertainment value of stories mm-hmm. is so important and we, you know people are like oh it's just entertainment it's not just entertainment like people have very stressful lives and mm-hmm. you need to unwind and that unwinding is not invaluable it's like it's so important for mental health so yeah forget for sure. the, the, the content of the story <laughs> itself like there's stories can obviously have amazing content amazing lessons and things that you mm-hmm. can learn from them but I think that, you know, entertainment is, is very important in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think uh, especially during like this past year and a half, two years, I, I don't know how long we've been in uh, this COVID situation anymore. I think my mind's all mush, but you know, I spent way more time engaging with entertainment and revisiting kind of older entertainment too, and spending way more time on top of. So yeah, I, I can definitely, definitely see that. Yeah. Oh, so that leads to my next question. Like, are there, which stories do you personally read for either on Tapas or on other platforms? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read a little bit of everything on Tapas. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's not just for the job as I actually like really enjoy the content. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I read a ton of stuff on Tapas. Um, outside of- that you mm-hmm. love? Uh, yeah, I, I'm a huge modern romance person. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. Romantic comedies is like my favorite favorite type of of story of all time you know you know like i know it's like very formulaic but it's like very comforting to me and i think like even though it's formulaic there there are things that you can do with it that are just so like breathtaking and um i just like love stories i think it's speaking to a big rom-com fan yeah yeah. i in terms of what i watch i basically only watch rom-coms and like Mm -hmm. yes i know exactly what's gonna happen i don't care i like it yeah yeah (laughs) Um, outside of tapas, uh, let's see, I just read Chainsaw Man. Um, it took me forever to get those physical copies. I know I'm a, like a web comic guy, um, but I still do enjoy a physical copy every now and then. Um, there, I, I just picked up um, this really cool comic called uh, Don't Go Without Me. Uh, it's by uh, uh, Rosemary Valero Connell, and, and she's she's the best. She's you know, the story will just break your heart. And um, every page that she composes feels like a love letter to comics. And I hope one day to work with her um, and just like put that out in the universe, you know. Um, What else did I, I just checked out um, Catwoman Lonely City by Cliff, I'm just looking at my desk right now, uh, by uh, Cliff Chang. Um, Cliff Chang recently uh, wrapped up a run on, on Paper Girls with Brian K. Vaughn. And Cliff Chang is just one of those guys that's like, it's really frustrating to, to watch him create stuff because everything he does is just like pure magic. <laughs> he, just, he keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, and I wish I had like a career like him when he came to, to art. And um, yeah, that, that comic is, is, is really, really awesome and rad. Um, but yeah, you know, you try to read a little bit of everything, you know, digital, physical, uh, here and there, every genre, just to keep me fresh and just to, you know, I think, draw inspiration from. So, yeah. I've heard from some people, this is something I wonder about, mm. that when you do something that you love and you do mm. it for a living, like that can sometimes decrease your passion, but it sounds like that hasn't happened to you. Um, 
interesting. Yeah, I. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of of how how I've been able to like mitigate that. Um, I think one being surrounded by everyone within the company that's also super passionate about comics kind of helps you, you know, stay. Uh, in love with it because because you know we spend all of our free time just talking about like oh did you see you know like um like Vel on dps only on like episode 18 she did like this really cool artistic flourish um and you get to just geek out and i think that that keeps me um really enthralled in it um but i also think you know it's important to recognize that you know this is a job um i think it it that definitely that perspective holds me accountable um, but I don't think that ever takes away from my passion, um, you know, at the start of the day and at the end of the day, you know, I think I'll always love storytelling and this job allows me to share that love. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, under no illusion that this is like a very unique opportunity for, for myself and for like the staff members, like um, we're not working with like existing IP or legacy create like characters, right? We get to wake up in the morning and like create like, a world and, and characters that are wholly new. And I think that is, that will always keep us invigorated and engaged and, and in love and passionate about this. So. That's really, that's really great to hear. Um, like it's honestly one of the things that I worry about mm-hmm. if I ever do get a position that is like, you know, fully creative. And, you know, I, I'm genuinely worried that like I'll stop liking it. I have mm-hmm. a, a good friend who um, is a lawyer and she, you know, loved reading. And then after law school, she says she can't read anymore. I'm like, what? Like not read? That's like not breathing. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but she said it was just too much, you know, like intensive reading for law school. She just can't do it. So Interesting, I'm yeah. happy to hear it. Yeah. Like, I oh. guess, yeah, um, it's, so you were saying that everyone else's passion kind of keeps that. Mm-hmm. for you um what advice i guess the last question before we do the rapid fire what advice do you have for people who want to work in a creative field either you know it, there's so many different ways that they can do that but mm-hmm. what's what's your advice for them um let's see my, my biggest piece of advice is to just put yourself out there i think i mean it's weird coming from me because like this opportunity kind of fell in my lap um but um I think people would be surprised at like how receptive um, people in the industry are to like sharing their time and their thoughts and, and, and working with you to like, kind of like get started, Um, you know, or, or at least that's just been my experience, you know, like, you know, I reached out to a lot of my mentors to be like, Hey, you know, can you spare like a couple minutes or do you want to grab coffee? And that that's really, you know, flourish into something really beautiful. And so, you know, if you're just starting out or if you're interested in learning more, like just, just reach out, you know, I think a lot of, you know, this modern era that's defined by the internet makes everyone so much more accessible, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's like on Twitter or LinkedIn or, you know, finding our email addresses or something you know (laughs) like just reaching out and trying to like put yourself out there and you know making sure that one that you know you feel like you're a good fit for the industry and and two that the industry feels like a good fit for you you know I think that um you know I I was very much uh interested and and passionate about um fashion when I was younger um and then I realized that uh, my passion for that field didn't really translate to like uh, 
a, a talent. And then the more I learned about the industry, the less I kind of like wanted to engage with it. And so I, I think my biggest piece of advice for anyone is to, you know, make sure that, you know, your passion, your talent and the industry are kind of like aligning at all times. And, and if you can't find or carve that space out, like, you know, do what Chang did and, and start your own company and, and make those waves. Um, uh, and the last piece of advice is like, be kind. I think that's like, um, it's like the, probably like the, the unifying factor in our company culture at Tapas is like, I feel like everyone that I meet is super kind and, and pleasant to work with. And um, yeah, I think that's like one of the most important parts of our culture and something that, you know, we'll, we'll fight to the teeth to, to preserve. It's like just being kind to one another. That's, that's wonderful to hear because um, yeah, the way that to me, that's also the most important thing that you could possibly do or be. And yeah, the way I was raised is like, it doesn't matter how much money you have or what you do with your job, but like the most important thing is just be a nice person, be a yeah. good person. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm so happy to hear you say that. And yeah, and I agree with what you said with the beginning with, uh, you know, reaching out and just putting yourself out there. Um, you know, I'm a very big believer in like, what's that phrase? You'll never... <laughs> but I don't know, slip in my but something like you'll never you miss all the, the shots that you don't take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the worst that can happen is that you fail, but the best that can happen is you know you achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah. So and I agree, like but you know, this is the first episode of this podcast. And um, you know, I, I hesitated for a second. I was like, you know what? I really want to speak to all these people. I think these conversations are worthwhile. And I was like, let's just do it. So and yeah, it's so easy mm -hmm. to access people. Yeah. So yeah. So are you ready for some five rapid fire five? Yeah. Five yeah for sure. Fire yeah. questions. Yeah. Okay. So these are just some fun questions. So what's your favorite food? <laughs> uh, my favorite. Oh my God. This is like the hard Uh, probably cinnamon rolls. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah. Those are good. Um, first concert that you went to? Uh, it was in high school. It was this for this band called um, Daphne Loves Derby. They're uh, <laughs> my wife is laughing. Uh, I think so. They're on Spotify. They're they're really cool. They they sing really fun love songs and it's part of like that emo punk rock era. And I think that defined a lot of my life. So, yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll look them up. I mean, that name is pretty memorable. Yeah. Okay, what book are you reading right now? I guess you were discussing uh, before. Yeah, I know. I was like, what else am I reading right now? I am reading, um, I am rereading a book that I fell in love with last year called Magic Fish by Trungles. If you haven't checked it out, I 100% recommend it. I try to buy it for everyone during the holidays. It's an yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely beautiful comic. Um, but I'm also reading this really cool um, biography called The Life and Art of Maid Schaefer. He's kind of like this lesser known painter at the time i think he kind of got overshadowed by a lot of the other um people but uh he's it's really really cool so definitely ch check that out i guess i don't know if like people are into that stuff it's like nonfiction. anyways yeah that's what oh, i'm reading yeah. right now i always my i always feel guilty for not reading enough nonfiction. Yeah. only nonfiction, and i'm a big fiction person and i always feel very uneducated <laughs> no not at all yeah so most recent song that you listen to um yeah you know what like my spot i just looked at my spotify like top songs of the year and i was really surprised um i have been listening to a lot of uh willow smith it's like will okay. smith's daughter um but she does a lot of like uh like new rock and she has a song called meet me at our spot that 
is just been on repeat for me um and it's really fun and poppy i, I love pop music so so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah all of my top categories were pop pop this pop this pop that <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um most recent google search <clears throat> most know. recent google search i think it was um so I'm building a computer right now, and that's why my screen is blurry. There's like computer parts like everywhere. Um, so I think my most recent Google search was like, what computer part is this and where does it connect to? Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I have like all these like spare wires. I don't know what to do with this. So yeah. Cool. No? So do you, do you game? Is that why people love computers? I don't, sorry, I'm not into that world. Like, uh, So I don't really have time to game anymore, unfortunately. But uh, I, um, so are you? There was a previous employee at the company named Peter Moon. Uh, he and I started at the company at similar times, and and he helped me build my first computer seven years ago. And it's kind of like you know sputtering along. And so I thought it'd be a cool experience to build a computer on my own without his help this time. Wow. And um, this Google's yeah, help. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it, it's not as hard as it sounds. It's kind of like Legos, like really expensive Legos almost. Right. It's funny. That's that's kind of how I felt about DIY when I started mm. doing DIY. I was mm -hmm. like, oh, it's like arts and crafting with you know the, yeah. the way you do in kindergarten with like scissors and glue. It's just like with different tools. You know, you have mm. wood and tile and saws and yeah, know, different kinds of things. <laughs> that's cool. Well, thank you so so much for for talking to me. Yeah, and sure. this was such an interesting interview. I I learned a lot that I didn't know about, and I'm really inspired by your approach to to life and to work and to you know. Uh, treating people. I mean, that's to me, you know, hearing that kind of stuff is just very valuable. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah, I think it, it stems from um, like the the culture that our, that our CEO built, Chen Kim. And, and you know, if I could tell a quick story about him, and this is like one of my favorite stories to tell. Um, and he gets super embarrassed every time I tell it. So I, I love to tell it even more. Um, but when he first started this company, I believe his daughter was just born. And um, he was, you know, raising money and like traveling to Seattle to recruit like the superstar designer named Darren uh, Akira Hall. And uh, he was, uh, you know, busy with everything a CEO has to do, which is like a million different things, especially for a company that isn't, you know, fully fleshed out or just getting started. Um, but he made it a point every day to grab us lunch. Like he went out and grabbed everybody lunch. And, and he said it was because he didn't want it you know, he wanted it to be like one less thing we had to worry about. And that always blew my mind because I was like, oh, I don't think a CEO should be like grabbing lunch, you know, um, but it really instilled in us this kind of like culture and mentality that there's like no task too small or like no task too large. And it's really about like helping the team succeed at the end of the day. Um, and I think that has reverberated to this day where, you know, it doesn't really matter what I have to do if it means setting up, you know, the team to succeed and team members to succeed. And I think the reason why we have, you know, employees that have been with the company for as long as they have been, you know, I'm like a prime example, you know, nine years is because we feel like everyone is supporting one another. And when you have that, I think there's, there's no way that we can fail. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is such a beautiful way to end the podcast. Yeah. That was very inspiring. I'm so happy to hear that you have such a great person at the home and great people like you there. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And yeah, thank you. I'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. 
Thank you to my current patrons. Susie, Lady Liberace, Lily, Denny, Haley, Maria, Molly, Veronica, Emily, Emily, Joe, Rochelle, Saucy Puckles, Meg, and Rose, Priya, Alexa, Misty, Laura, Joanne, Patty, Jen, Emilda, Esther, and Watching You People, Taurus, Poppy, Steve, Marie, Jen, Emily, Jean, Jen, Erin, Dee, Kay, Lily, Beckett, and Duranda. Your support is truly appreciated.